Fat Pratt. What is up, squad, and welcome to the Fat Pratt Chat and a very special episode of the Fat Pratt Chat with a very special guest, Dr. Justin Rabinowitz. Um, and I say special for mainly two reasons. I mean, he's a very special guy, and you'll see he's extremely knowledgeable and extremely smart when it comes to pain and pain management and what his practice does to get people out of pain. But to me, he's special because he was the first major step in my life to getting me out of severe knee pain. My pain had gotten to a point where I had to seek a professional's help. And you'll hear us talk in the episode about some of the challenges as you go to uh, traditional physical therapy and places like that. And I was, you know, scared and you'll hear in the episode. But basically, Justin was somebody that I really like appreciated his philosophy and thought that he was going to look holistically at my body, which is exactly what he did to determine some of the issues relating to my knee pain. So this episode is all about um, basically pain and working out through pain, when you should go seek a professional's help, about how long your pain should last before you think you should do something about it. Um, And then we talk about the business, we talk about Justin's experience here. So it's a lengthy episode, but there is just a ton of knowledge in this episode. And I think for all of us who are adamant about working out and who work out regularly, have dealt with or will deal with pain that is probably pretty severe at some point and we don't know what to do about it and we may even be scared so this is going to clear a lot of stuff up and i think be extremely helpful to those of you listening who have actually been in pain for a decent amount of time training through it and trying to figure out how that's going to look as you age because we touch on that subject as well so sit back relax and enjoy today's episode if you want to know more about strive to move which is the business that justin owns which is right across the street from us actually You'll find the website and his Instagram linked in today's show notes. Enjoy, everybody. We'll do the zebra on four. <laughs> Can I see your sine wave? <laughs> uh, you're a little low on the sine wave. <laughs> These people that you say to me, they're not real people. Oh, do you, do you know do you know Sigmund Matheson? Like, what? Is that, yeah, like that, to, is that Hannah? I talked to Heather. We're <laughs> <laughs> We're recording. So that's how we start every podcast from now on. All right, guys, what's up? So today we have our, our very first guest, special member to us, uh, one of our members of our gym, owns a business down the street. We're going to talk to him a little bit today, but we're going to put him on the spot first. So this is Dr. Justin Rabinowitz, and uh, whether he agreed to this or not, he's going to do our overrated and underrated today. So do you have an overrated or an underrated for our members here? Do I have to pick up the question? Which, well, you could pick, choose over or underrated. Yeah, one thing that's overrated or underrated. Uh, Italian food, over is which? Yeah, I, I'm really curious now. Let me clarify. <laughs> Takeout Italian, okay, is overrated. Overrated. I was okay. yeah, I was gonna go there. Yeah. Like All right. Awesome. Food. And members, please make sure Justin hears about this the same way I do. If you disagree with him, you let him know Thank this you. week. I fully agree with this week's overrated. A takeout Italian food, no good. I'm I'm the, I'm a bad example because I'll eat anything and I think everything is at least a nine out of ten in terms of food besides olives. Have you told on the head. podcast the story? Speaking of eating anything, the year eons ago when you had COVID, you described to me and I think about this sometimes how you walked out of your quarantine room with like a glove on your hand to the kitchen, which was a sock, and covering your mouth so you didn't spread COVID to your girlfriend, and were gouging food on your first night out of COVID quarantine. Sounds something like me. It sounds a lot like it could be true. <laughs> yeah, I was banned in the room for a little bit, which is ironic because when when she had COVID, she thought she should just be able to walk around the house because she didn't want to be stuck in the room. Yeah. So you were banned either way. You were banned with it in the room, and without it, you were banned in yeah. the room. So when I I had to kind of sneak down, I had to be extra careful. Thus the sock. 
Speaking of speaking of your girlfriend, though, let me just take this another direction. I was in the gym today at eight o'clock. Ooh, interesting. Eight a.m. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a no, it's a positive shout out to a member, uh, KP, Mister Mister mm. Petro. That dude has some quaff. His hair is always on point. I mean, perfect quality. How old is he? He is fifty four. I mean, great hair. You can only aspire to have that type of hair. So he, age. so he's. Uh, so he does his hair. He blow dries his hair. Yeah, you can tell oh, really? Every morning. Yeah. Tell. Wow. He no does wonder. it before the gym and after the gym. No wonder. Yeah. So he'll like if you ever see him in the PM sessions, he's leaving the session. He'll shower. He'll blow dry his hair. Always blow dries his hair to perfection. And he's very OCD. So there will never be a hair out of place. So did Justin just do our client shout out of the week? Yeah, it sounds like it. An it's inadvertent client very, shout out. Very genuine. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. I thought it should have went to someone else, but oh well. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Justin, I, the first question for you is something that, like, when people talk to me about stuff they're struggling with, specifically pain and things, and I, I talked, to, I, I just recently talked to one of our members uh, who's not training with us at the moment, but she called about um, some issues with her knees, and it's a very complex issue. And I was like, look, like, I think you need to call these people strive to move. And of course, like, well, well, why? I went to a physical therapist. Like, what's the difference? So I tried to explain to her what the difference was. I have my own way of doing it, but I'm just not sure if people get it. So I'd love to hear your elevator spit, uh, speech about like uh, what Strive to Move does and how they're different from a typical physical therapy. Yeah, I mean, the elevator pitch is essentially that's who we help is people that have tried something like regular physical therapy or chiropractic and it's failed and they're looking for another option. And that's that's it. Right? Awesome. Because um, so many people that get to us, if, we, if you asked me like what our perfect patient is, that's it. Like they've been somewhere else, they've tried it. Um, it was good, but they either want more, are looking for more, or their issue isn't resolved. You yeah. Know? Like, and I can go on for stories about that of people having great experiences, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, like I went to PT and it was great. Okay, like how how'd you end up here? Oh, because my knees still hurt. Yep. And you know, and so there's something to be said for that. But that's that's who we help. You know, typically, ten you percent know, of our clients have been nowhere else in the past, and so that's literally what we do. Awesome. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because this person was like, well, I guess I'll just go back to PT. And I was like, well, okay, you said it was kind of better when you did it, but then you stopped and it's now no better at all. So like, to me, I was I was trying to be sensitive because she's going through a lot, but I was like, well, why would you go back to the same place? It doesn't sound like anything got fixed. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could think about it in, in any industry. Um, if you go to a bad restaurant, that doesn't mean you never go to another restaurant. Unless it's an Italian takeout. Yeah. Takeout. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even that is questionable. Even that is questionable. Um, but the the reality is um, what we literally specialize in is looking at what we call the root cause of the problem. And so most commonly when people come in, knee pain is a great example. Like if you go to a PT or, or something like that, they're going to look at your knees. They're probably You probably go into the there they massage your knees for 15 minutes they might put stim on them then they send you around to do a set of exercises which is a template of exercises and the good news with that is probably 75 percent of the people it helps them which is why they're successful right and it's for like a common problem but then there's 25 percent of people who do that they go through the process and they didn't get the result and so when they come to us the first thing we do is like what have you done and if they tell us that's their journey um, the first thing that we look at is like, what did they miss, mm. right? And so in, in your in this case, great example, it felt good when I was leaving, but then it came back. And so now, um, let's call her Mrs. Smith comes to our office and she's like, my knees hurt when I do steps. And so we're gonna take a look at her hips, 
right? Are her hips able to support you know, what she's doing? Do they have the range of motion? We're gonna watch her do step ups or do squats or do lunges, all like knee dominant movements, similar to all the exercises you guys do here. Um, because what we find a lot of times is there could be like even a technique issue. It's just, they, it's overlooked and it wasn't covered by the basics at the, you know, the regular physical therapist. Yeah, gotcha. And you guys would have heard by now the intro where I uh, spoke to my experience with Justin just briefly. And uh, I mean, just speaking of knee pain, that's what I went through. And the reason I went to you guys, um, not only did I know you and trust you, but like I also had heard uh, these things about like physical therapy. Like, yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like, I was scared that like everybody was gonna recommend surgery to me. I was scared that they were just gonna look at my knee only. I thought there might be other things going on. So I was really pleased when you were like, all right, we're gonna look at everything. And we're gonna look at the way you do lunges. I remember doing lunges in your office. Um, and then everything that we, we work together, obviously, I told you guys in the intro. You're a good example, though, just to, because most people, when I talk to them, when, when they have a problem or they have pain, the first thing is, oh, I'm too tight, I need to stretch. You know, it's very common. Something's tight, I stretch it. And you are a great example where you actually, your profile is you're actually too mobile, right? And so you have a lot of ankle mobility and you have a lot of knee flexibility, which means you like to use it which means that if you use it too much, you're gonna overuse your knees, so to speak. And so, like if we just massage your knees and stretch your knees, but you went back to going to do a lot of very, very heavy knee dominant exercises and you never you know, essentially shared the load with the posterior hips or your core or things like that, you're just gonna kind of keep picking the scab. And so that's what we, we talk about, you know, just to, I used to work at Rutgers with the gymnastics team. And when I tell the normal person that they're always injured, they're surprised because they're like, what do you mean they're so flexible? Yeah. And yeah. flexibility doesn't mean you're going to be healthy all the time. In fact, there are a lot of people in your gym that are yogis and they are flexible. And that's actually the reason they have a lot of pain, which, you know, in a normal physical therapy or chiropractic setting, they're not going to address that. Yeah. And that's actually a really good segue coming up to the next question. Um, and I remember, so we, we worked together for a little bit and you had basically you recommended a lot of stuff. We did, we did a lot. I was there for a few sessions. And uh, we did like manual manipulation on uh, some like like my deeper muscles around my hip, for lack of a better words. And um, just you, just you, a professional saying like, hey, like this exercise right now, I don't think you should do it was huge for me because I love working out. And that was another reason I wanted to work with you because you're like, well, I'm not going to take working out away from you. I'm just going to find a way where you can keep working out and we can get like better at the pain right now. Like a couple of my personal goals, maybe I had to go on hold. Actually, a couple of my personal goals like actually went really well coming out of uh, working with you. So just having somebody that was professional tell me like, look, like stop doing this for now, start doing a couple more of these things, work with me for a couple more weeks, I'm gonna do this in the office. And uh, then it, it all like came together really well. It's my first step to like actually dealing with something that had been going on for years in my knee. Um, so can you speak a little bit to that? Like on that segue, uh, your philosophy of working out with pain, like what pain is appropriate to work out with? Uh, when should you think about maybe working with professional you know, at the first sign of like uh, joint pain, should you stop working out? Like, I think people are just very confused about this. And it's yeah. a vague topic. It's kind of tough. And and the other problem, which one of my friends is trying to sort of fix this in, in his industry of physical therapy, is the other problem with what you're saying is if you go to 10 different doctors, P PTs, chiros, trainers, they're going to get 10 different answers as to the answer to this question. And, um, you know, it, it there's no... Perfect answer. The first thing that I will say is that pain is not normal. And actually one of my clients, one of my coaching clients says this when he teaches, pain isn't normal and age isn't an excuse. And I love that line. I'm just old. So the classic example is like Who's you have a client. <laughs> not me. <laughs> you have a client that comes in and they have left hip pain. And they'll say, 
oh, um, you know, I, I got some hip pain, but yeah, I'm just getting old. And the first question or the comment I'll say to them is, well, your right hip is the same age as your left hip. Why doesn't that one hurt? It's pretty good. I never thought about that. I like that. And so, but that's where we start to look and see. Now, the problem in, in my world specifically is that 95% of people, they get to our office by the time they're already injured. It's kind of like I read a book once by a divorce attorney and his book was called, um, by the time you get to my office, it's already too late because they're already getting divorced. <laughs> um, for most patients that come to us, it's not quite there yet. But again, one of the issues that frustrates us a little bit is that people only come to us usually when, when it's already gone too far, it's jumped the shark, so to speak. And where we really specialize with people and I think where we have the most value is actually once they're sort of out of pain, because if someone comes in in acute back pain or knee pain, step one of our process is just to cool it down, just get them out of pain. And that's when we can actually go in and do the work necessary, add the exercises, add the mobility, add the strength, fix the movement patterns so that it doesn't come back over and over and over again. Um, I would love to say, sit here and say, as the first sign of injury, do something about it. But I think if I had to give a con concrete objective measure, I would say two things. I would say if you're, you're doing an, an intervention, so let's just say you modified your training, let's say you went to physical therapy, let's say you did an injection, let's say you went on YouTube and did a stretching program, and you give it a period of time, let's call it four weeks, and you have no sustainable results, that's when I would say, all right, I have to change something. Now again, is it perfect? It's not, but it, it, I can't. It's impossible to make it perfect. But the problem that we see is people continue to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, potentially, if you came to see us and we did our evaluation process, and there are times that people come in and they're like, "I'm doing this, whatever it is," and it's like, "All right, we'll just keep doing that." But it's very rare, right? If you have some sort of musculoskeletal injury and it hasn't gone away in a four-week period from doing whatever, the classic one is stretching, right? Like my hamstring's tight, let me stretch it. If you stretch it for four weeks and it's still tight, well, in, in my like doctor brain, I'm thinking you might have sciatica, ridiculous pain down your leg, and actually the stretching might make it worse. So yes, I'm not, uh, I would love to say, go up and say, anytime someone has a, any injury, come to my office, we can help. I believe we can, I believe that's the right thing. I don't think that's realistic. Um, you know, the other part too, and I guess sort of the PSA that I have for most surgeries that happen, most surgeries as I call them are not like get, by, get hit by a bus injury. They're not traumatic. If you think about most people over the course of time, let's take like a hip replacement as an example. Um, no, not almost nobody gets hit with a bat or has like a Bo Jackson get in a car accident type injury or it was a football injury where you need emergency surgery. Most hip replacements are abnormal wear and tear over decades and decades and decades. Now, when we do our evaluation process, and I've seen this at, at kids, 17, 18 years old, young kids, when we get them in there and can like get our hands and assess the joints on them, I can tell them pretty quickly of like, hey, if we don't look at this, you know, 30 years from now, you're gonna need a hip replacement. And just, you know, when you guys know this, when their hip doesn't rotate, right? Hip internal rotation, as we like to call it, when they're limited with that, that's the first sign of degenerative hip uh, derangement, disease, whatever, which then leads to, you know, rubbing, wearing, and tearing, which then will lead to hip replacement down the line. 
And so by the time that that guy or girl gets to that surgeon, like it's been 40 years abnormally, which again, not only is a, you know, a, for someone to understand and get it taken care of medically, potentially in our office, but probably more importantly, from a training standpoint, because you can overcome a lot of that by having mobility and being strong. Yeah, so I mean, to, to leave off on that, so when they get to that point and it's been 30 or 40 years and they're going to see the surgeon, is there any other option? So I'm trying to think of some people who probably are at that point right now. Like, is surgery pretty much it at that point? Like, should they have caught it earlier? I mean, well, they, yes, they should have caught it earlier. But, like, what's realistic then? Like, is there ability to do anything at that point other than surgery? So, the answer, it's yes and, right? If they haven't done anything, I would delay the surgery to do cool. something awesome. like you, like, for sure, a training program, a legit training program and or in conjunction something like what we have where we can get our hands in there manipulate some of the muscles surrounding it because it's not in isolation right if your hip joint is a problem like we're not putting our hands on the joint and changing that but the, all the muscles around that have compensated and so what we're doing is trying to maximize that process and what we say and what you guys should say or do say is this is a no-lose situation right if you come to our office and are on the chopping block literally to have mm -hmm. surgery if we can't stop you from having surgery, we're gonna get you as good as you can going in, which means your recovery after is gonna be easier, right? And so um, I would exhaust absolutely every conservative care type thing I could and delay as long as I can. If you go to most hip surgeons, they, in that capacity, outside of, again, something you know atypical, what they're gonna say is, I'm not gonna tell you, Mr. Patient, when you need surgery, you're gonna tell me because it's a discomfort thing. Right. It's usually at some point they just can't tolerate it. Right. Anymore. Yeah. And so for us, you know, could you train around it and do upper body and core and ankles and hit? Absolutely. But even with that sort of issue, you know, if we can maximize all of the, the muscles around it, if we can get stability in the other hip, if we can gain upper body strength and things like that, I mean, I had, so I had back surgery when I was 26. Uh, I had a, a discectomy, you know, down my leg, the whole thing. I was in chiropractic school. And I remember going home from the hospital that day, and, and I remember getting out of the car, being able, and I was obviously it's really sore, physically being able to, like, do a pull-up to get out of the car. And it was at that moment I was like, this is really helpful to be strong. Because to be able to ambulate in and out of bed when I couldn't, like, move from basically my rib cage to my knees – and to be able to like push myself off, roll my body, pull myself out of bed. I mean, if you're not strong in those situations, it's over. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's over. And I think they did a study. Uh, don't quote me on it, but essentially they found, they found just in credence to like being strong, there was a direct correlation between like death and the ability to do like a body squat, or, or like and leg strength. Because essentially, if, once you can't like physically get up anymore, it's over. It's wow, over. It's pretty severe correlation between death and not being well, able to squat. <laughs> but but think about it, right? Once you can't like squat your body weight, right? You can't ambulate, which means you can't support yourself, which means you can't move, which means you need help. You know, you, you, it's over. Yeah, downward it's spiral. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, really good takeaways too. I think even uh, going back to like that four-week rule, I think it's just very helpful just for somebody to kind of have a category in their head because I think myself included, which is why I asked the question, I don't really know what to tell people, how long to wait you know, is it three days? Like, is it two months? I don't know. Four weeks is, is a nice, uh, something just to remember. Um, so let's touch on uh, when somebody is injured, right? Somebody has been injured. Uh, should they keep working out? Because I think there's a misconception around this too. I've known people who like at the sign of any injury, stop working out altogether, stop moving. And that's just what we were just talking about. Like they basically aren't moving anymore now. 
Is there some way we can work around that pain uh, while working with a professional such as yourself? Should we keep our body moving and the blood flowing kind of like in any way we can? Or should we rest? And is there a time where like there's certain injuries that we should just rest? Um, if there is a period of time to rest, I would say that is generally very, very short. And I would say for the majority, 80, 90% of people specifically that would be listening to this podcast, as a general rule, we should be looking to do everything we can to avoid that, right? Um, the question of should we continue to train when we're injured is the answer isn't so clear um, because if it's just go back to the gym or go back to a random workout and just continually beat the out of yourself, I would say no, that's probably best to just rest. Um, if you're if you're here, like I know what you guys do, I know the programming, I know the skill set that you guys have. So if someone comes in with like bilateral knee pain, the worst thing that that person can do, your client, like if I talk to you today, I'm like, get your ass back here tomorrow, right? If we can get your, your core moving, if we can do hip dominant patterns, if we can get your upper body moving, if we can break a little bit of a sweat, if we can do some mobility drills um, and you leave the workout, just not feeling worse, great day. It's a great day, right? Um, almost in no, in no situations will anybody find that doing less movement is better outside of some severe acute like back injury or, or something of that nature. But, um, you know, you see people all the time that, you know, you, you hurt your elbow. It's like, well, you got two legs, you got a core, you got a shoulder, and, um, They've done and they've done studies that this is like an old, you know, Eric Cressy, Mike Reinold type study where if you think about exercise in general, it's not it's not so focused, meaning that like when you go to do a bicep curl on your right arm, it's the only thing working is not your bicep. It's more systemic than that. And so what they find actually in studies where like, let's say you had a shoulder surgery, and you're in a sling that you actually transfer the strength to that hurt arm. You know, they've done studies between 10 and like 60% of transfer. Because if you think about when you get strong to like do an activity, to like hit a golf ball or to walk up steps, it's not just like you walk up a step and your quad works, your body works. And so lifting, exercising is more systemic than just like, oh, my knees hurt. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a problem here. By the way, the other part that happens too is just from a weight perspective, right? Um, the, the worst part about people that have like a chronic-y long-standing injury is that they stop being active and typically when that happens, they do the opposite of what they should. They eat more, not less. And so if you have chronic hip, knee, back pain and then you start adding five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 pounds, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like that much except our friend Big Tom once at a seminar did this and I never thought about it. He goes, yeah, five, six, seven, ten 10 pounds isn't that much and then he picked up a 10-pound kettlebell and he's like, just walk around with this all day and it's like, can you imagine that, right? And you imagine someone that's like 40, imagine someone that's 50 pounds overweight, put a, go ahead and put a barbell on their back. Everything they do is with a barbell on their back. I mean, that, how good can that be for you? Not good at all. And so if you're being active just to keep your weight the same or something like that, I mean, you know, why not? Yeah, cool. So big benefits. So for the most part, almost always, I think you said, stay active as you can. And there's a lot of benefits that maybe we don't even understand. And I would say if, again, I pay you guys as a client, so I don't get any money for saying this. Um, maybe. It depends on how good it is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I would say if you do hurt yourself or have an injury, give these guys here a chance to tell you not to work out. Because most of the people here would say, hey, my knees hurt. I can't work out. 
why don't you like call up the coaches here? I'm telling you, they're good enough to say, you know what, you're right, take a couple days off. Or no, I think we can help. Give them a chance because they're going to do the right thing by you, you know, and I think if, if anything, you know, give them the chance. That's what you guys specialize in. You're, you guys are experts at that. And you guys like me, um, at the end of the day, it's no fun to have people around as clients that we don't think we can help or are going to be miserable doing it. And so, um, a lot of times if it is going to be too much of like a headache, you, I know you guys will tell, tell them because I know from a business standpoint, it would be a pain in the ass to deal with somebody or something that you guys aren't quali- qualified or capable. And so I would say if you're out there listening, give them a chance to tell you, yeah, stay home. And it's usually going to be Sydney, by the way, and she has no emotion, so she's okay to tell you guys. <laughs> but, the uh, biggest takeaway of all that, by the way, was he said doing a bicep curl makes everything stronger. It's true. <laughs> so I think that's only one exercise that we have to put in anybody's program. And control. it was a single arm bicep yeah, curl, you, too. We, we don't, don't even need, do both. We don't even need both. <laughs> that was the biggest takeaway. Um, cool. So I'm glad you touched on a little bit of your training here because uh, one of my questions, I think James has a similar one, is like uh, just speaking to your experience with us. Like I know you've said before, you know what to do clearly. You're smart enough to know how to train yourself and put a program together. So why is it that you just continue to train with us and let us handle that? Um, I, I find that my level of maturity comes to the point in my life where I get out of my own way. And so I have access to, at the time when I joined here, I, I was literally had an office in a different gym and I was training and I was doing my thing. And one day I realized that the mental, am I allowed to, like, how much cursing is allowed in here? Uh, do, do what you want. I can, I'm, I'm he's, got a down he's, he's got like a rubber duck. Got it. The mental, the, the mental fuckery that would go through my head <laughs> to have to motivate myself to work out, to have to write my own program and have to sustain it to keep my phone away. So I wouldn't take a business call during the workout, um, was significantly more painful than just outsourcing it to you guys. And so that for me, um, was the moment that I, it was one of the things, and now I actually do consulting with people and that's what I teach them. It's like, we all kind of know what we need and what we do, but we often get in our own way and it isn't just always the thing, right? It's not, well, I'm not going to pay to come here because I know how to work out. It's like, yeah, but you're not motivated. You're, you don't really want or have the know-how to push yourself in the right way. And it's like, any of us in any aspect of our life typically get in trouble when we think I can just do it myself. By the way, this guy to my left, how many years did he do that? Right. In his business, I can just do it myself. And then in the last two years, hiring, consulting, things like that, he's like, finally, he was like, no, I think I should. And look how big the business is now because he has people around him. And I remember having conversations, it's the same thing, right? I remember conversations with him. It's like, I don't know that anyone could like do the program like I could. Well, guess what? They can, right? And so it happens in all of our lives in every aspect. And so exercise and training is just another one of them where, you know, it's, it isn't just doing the thing. It's all the other aspects around it, so to speak, you know? Totally. Yeah. And I think we, uh, we even touched on that on an episode recently about like the, the growth of the business related to exactly what you're talking about, Justin, like just outsourcing some things, getting other people on board, getting other people trained up to do like what you said, the programs and like just coming up with the system. Just last podcast that we were talking about, like, all right, James had this thing in his head and he knew how to do it, but like he had to get that system out of his head and put it on paper so that other people could then do it. And now Colin and Sydney are crushing it primarily. I mean, everybody has had their hands in program writing at some point, but um, it's just been extremely beneficial for the business to your point. And I think the other aspect to not overlook, because again, we just get caught in, I can do the workouts and I can do this. Um, You know, 
when my now wife moved from North Jersey to live with me in whatever year that was, 20, I don't know, 15, 16, um, the first thing she did, that the first thing we did when she moved in was join here. That was the first thing we did because she was someone who I knew liked to exercise and I knew she knew nobody here. And so for me, it was like double whammy, get her involved with a community, get her to people that I knew would take care of her, get her to meet some friendly faces. And so that was like my hedge on making sure she wasn't like, I'm out. Right. And she's done amazing and she loves it here. I was hoping um, she would socialize. So we could delegate. Some yeah. Time and to, delegate. Yeah, and, wow. and, you know, so you and so I had all these great things, the, uh, uh, you know, ideas of grandeur. And the first day that I that she came in for a consult, she came she came home and uh, I find out that James what? Pratt <laughs> put her on the prowler and made her vomit. And oh, I thought he hit on her. <laughs> that would have been that probably would have been better. Yeah. That probably would have been better. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. Dell goes outside, pukes, comes back, come back in, comes back in with a smile on her face. Yeah. Did she pretend like out. she didn't? No, 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 no. She that. was, she was, I'm, I like, remember some people. I'm like, you are a lifer. You <laughs> go outside and puke and you come back in with a smile on your face? That's a say, fact. What else are we doing? That's a fact. Not only that, I'll never forget, I was sitting on the couch, she came and she opened the door and she's like, she's like, giddy her face. And she's like, oh my God. I was like, what the hell happened? She's like, I puked. She's like, I was like, what? And she's like, no, 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 I feel great. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? Like. Yeah, it did, it did come out of nowhere. There, we do have three warning signs for people when we feel like we need to pull it back on the assessment. And she didn't have any of them. She just <laughs> pushed the sled, turned around, I was like, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to go outside. Go outside, puke, come in, smile. Perfect. All right. See you tomorrow. Yeah. I've had those out of nowhere, too. It's really, it freaks me out a little bit, too. It's like, I, I just have to go to the bathroom real quick. They're so calm. And then they're, like, they're in the bathroom for like a little too long for a quick bathroom break. And they come out and they're like kind of like patting their face. And I'm like, you okay? And I'm like, they're like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, so whatever. And they're pretending like they didn't just go throw up. And I'm like, how? Did, but my question, which I don't want to embarrass, I'm like, how did you just come out of there? And how are you working out again yeah. already? Because when I got to that point, I can't work out. Yeah, it's ugly. To her credit, like only Dell, I think, is one of those people. Like if Dr. J came in and puked after the prowler, he'd never come back. No, I'd come so? back. No, I'd come back. <laughs> I actually, this is this is you're gonna think this is a joke. It's not a joke. When I was a freshman in high school, I was doing the the football workouts with like the varsity team, and the first day of workouts, I puked. And at the award dinner that year, they gave me a plaque with a piece of uh, with a piece of like fake vomit from Halloween, and I got the Yak Award. Dude, dude, that, dude, that is how you win. In my my junior year of high school, fighting for a starting position, in our spring game, our center and tackle were both injured, so I had zero plays off. I threw up four times, Oof. and I kept playing the whole time. And the coach said he came after me. He's like, "You're a starter." Wow. And then and like afterwards, I'm like. I wonder if I played well. <laughs> like, did I actually deserve that spot, or did I just fight through throwing up four times? Don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> all of a sudden, all of our athletes that come in that happen to listen to this podcast, yeah. they're like, I know how to win uh, Athlete of the Month next week. I got this. <laughs> uh, all right, James, I know you had a few questions. Let's kick it over to some of yours. Yeah. The, the qu first question, in regards to the assessment, I would say above 50% of our members that come in admit to having some sort of pain. Yeah. What would you say on a one through 10 scale is the degree of pain that they're in before they come see you? Like, do they need to be an eight, nine, 10, or do you get some three, fours, fives? Most of our patients are three, four, fives. Interesting. Mm, right? I wouldn't have guessed that. Because most of the patients, we're, we don't see almost without, we literally call, we have a separate category like in our like business, what we call them emergency evals. Of, and basically what I say is it's someone that probably found us online that, they were either going to go a little dramatic, but go to the emergency room or come to see us and they get to see us and we'll help them and we can, but typically they're not like the people that we help the most. That's 
10%. Uh, literally to the point as a business, like my team always asked me, what do we do with these type of patients? Because And I said, we're not going to not worry about it. We know we can help them. But we're not going to like plan around it because it's not really what we do. Um, most people that we see, it's just something that's been around a long time. It comes and it goes. They've tried other things. Um, there's usually something more to it than just the pain, right? And so when we go through an assessment with them, it's like, you know, your back is a three, four out of 10. It looks like you can do most of the things you want to do. Um, what's going on? And we actually had a guy the other day. The guy was awesome. He found us online. Lovely, lovely husband and wife. They both came in. And um, the guy's just, he's an active guy. He likes to ride his bike. But he had a back injury a couple like months, weeks ago. He didn't want to just go and get cracked. To, he's done that before. But the thing for him is like on both sides of our family have heart disease. So my wife and I, we walk every night for an hour. I ride my bike. And essentially he's like the, the last few times I got on my bike, it was just painful. And it wasn't that he couldn't get through it. It was more so like anxiety of like, what does this look like if it doesn't get better or yeah. or it gets worse. And so for most of our patients that come in, it's usually like beyond just like my back hurts now. And and I'm the same way. Like you guys know this. I, having back surgery um, and being someone who's generally pretty physical in my life, uh, there's a lot of things that I'm nervous about potentially don't even do up there. Not because I'm going to be hurt that day because it's like, what if? What if it really goes wrong and I really screw myself up? And so for the most part, the people that come to see us, it isn't that acute type injury. It isn't an eight, nine out of 10. Um, a lot of, and I, we kind of joke with people, but not really. It's like, there are a lot cheaper and faster ways to get from an eight out of 10 to a two out of 10 pain. You can take Advil, you can get an injection, you know, you can do a lot of other things, but for that person that has tried it and has done the Advil and has done the injection and has done the basic PT and does all that, but still, but still has a problem and is concerned or fearful of what might happen next, or they might not be able to be a grandkid or they may not, or a grandfather, whatever, right? You know, those are the things, you know, for us, like you guys do, establishing the relationships with patients, why we spend so much time with them, understand, right? And so, you know, again, just another example, we have a guy, he's been a long-term client of ours. He came to us because he was wanting to get like golfer, you know, back pain and golfing. But when we got to know him, what we realized is that he has a an adult special needs daughter. And the thing for him is that if he can't be like help her and like ambulate her, lift her up, get her in and out of a wheelchair, who's going to take care of her? Mm. And so that's the thing for him. And for us, we try to like get to that level with people because we want to really understand like what's going on. Because on the surface, you'd come in and say you would expect what you guys say. Yeah, eight yeah. out of ten, I'm mm -hmm. going to see you. But it's like, no. Right in your world, when you came to see us, John, your knee was hurting you, but like you were fine. Like if you walked down the street, no one'd be like, "Oh man, that guy's knee's a mess." It's just you couldn't do the things you wanted to do. Three little kids, you were in an active job, you need to be able to demonstrate. You had other physical things you wanted to do. So that day, it wasn't like we're gonna walk down the street and say, "John, you're a ten out of ten pain." It was like, "No, I'm probably three out of ten, but the thought of what's gonna happen if I don't is worse than anything." And that's that's for most people when they they take action on something. Yeah, so that, that makes a lot of sense now. So that's why that guy uh, who wants to be a grandfather is coming in at 3, 4, 5 out of 10 because he's not going to wait till a 9 or a 10 out of 10 because he knows the potential ramifications of waiting that long. And he probably on a mental level, he is probably a 9 out of 10 at that point, mm -hmm. right? Because, the, again, it's like an anxiety. The, okay. fear of, yeah, wow. the fear of it is worse than the, the physical side.
nice always 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 yeah and I like we'll get that a lot and then we'll also have members that come in for their assessment and they'll talk about how they've tried physical therapy or they've tried something and they went two or three times and it quote unquote did not work and my only response at this point was like maybe that was a little bit too soon to judge the four-week thing I love but how is it that you go about making your patients more patient expectation management always <laughs> Right, expectation management. What are some of the things you say? And do they do they believe you or are they skeptical? Do they say, oh, you just want me around for a month? Um, the the patients, if, if they are skeptical or have those feelings, then they usually don't work with us, right, type of thing. Because, you know, again, it's just being very honest. If you're just looking to get out of pain, we can do, there's probably an easier option, right? If that, that's what you want. And so um, we make it very clear. And again, like I said, I do, I do coaching on this all the time with other chiropractors trying to understand the exact question you're asking from our perspective. And because the thing they always ask me is they'll say, you know, I have a client that comes in, they have the knee pain, and I know that I'm going to get them out of pain in three or four visits. But then from a medical standpoint, I know then I can actually get started on the thing that I need to do is to get them strong, get them mobile and make sure it stays away. But how do I sort of communicate that to them? So for us, we communicate everything we do and we call it, it's like a three-step process, right? Step one of that, those three steps is get you out of pain. That's the first step. And so I don't even like Dr. Ashton, shout out to him because he does this all the time. I don't even, we have names for the three steps, but I'll tell you essentially how we see it, right? Step one for us is to get you out of pain. So that's step one. Step two is then we're going to go in and like, do the mobiliz do the stretching, do the mobilization. We're gonna try to activate all the little muscles around it on like a micro level. So we might do the dead bugs, we might do like hip lifts, we might do glute bridges. That's like step two. A lot of times in like a physical a normal physical therapy environment, that's sort of where it ends. Yeah. And so that's the point where they're out of pain and they do some of the basic exercises. And then if and, and most PT then they're back to like the normal world. For us, like that phase three, I think for our patients that like really like what we do, that's where they get the most value because phase three is like we integrate. We call it, I think it's called integration, literally, of like, okay, Mrs. Smith, you're gonna go back to Pratt and they want you doing step-ups, we're gonna do step-ups here. You want a deadlift, we're gonna do that here because we're gonna take all the things that we've learned, we're gonna take our dead bugs, we're gonna take our glute bridges, we're gonna take our core activation, we're gonna take all the techniques we taught you in, in phase two and now reintegrate them back into life whether that's a deadlift, whether it's picking up your baby, whether that's your golf swing, we're gonna do that phase of it. And so if you go to a physical therapist or a chiro or whatever, and you want to play golf and they tell you you're good before they watch you swing a golf club mm. or even put you in the position, you're not good, you know? That's big. We're, we, that, you're not good. We, we work with a lot of CrossFit athletes too, and so many of them go to other chiros and PTs and they'll have a shoulder problem. And how is how was it? It was great. And it's like, well, when do you have shoulder pain? Well, when I do a pull up. Well, have they ever did they ever get you on a pull up bar? No. Yeah, it might well, be important if you want to keep doing CrossFit to be able to do pull ups. Anything, right? Yeah. Any even yeah. even up here, right? If someone comes to see us and they're having trouble in Pratt in Pratt personal training, got the name right. <laughs> with, I'm still messing that up. By the with way. doing a pull up. You know, I see it all the time, obviously, because I'm looking for it. But there are people I see in the gym. It's like if they came to me with shoulder pain and I saw how they were doing a pull up, the first thing, the second thing, the third thing that I would make sure that they're aware of is we can get you out of shoulder pain. But if we don't fix the way you're doing the pull up, it's just going to come back. 
Mm. And I think for our type of client, again, we're not perfect for everyone, but the thing that we specialize in is because of our background, because of the training that we do and we have done, um, we understand exercise and fitness I think better than any other medical providers in the area. And so if I look at a programmer, we're speaking and talking shop in terms of like the training side of it, it that's the game that we speak and not every medical provider is like that. Almost none are as a general rule. Yeah, and interestingly, I think with some of our members that have been physical therapy patients before, we essentially try to be that integrative piece of let's start super slow. I understand your safety squatting 160 pounds three months ago, but we're not starting there. And just because you're out of physical therapy doesn't mean that we go right back to it. But when we get patients from you guys, we kind of understand and it's a luxury that we're able to communicate at the level that we do, that there's almost a simultaneous integrated piece for both of us, where like we know you guys are starting to integrate fitness into what they're doing at the right tempos, at the right intensities and progressing them appropriately. And you've already had that conversation with them right. about the expectations associated with that's done now we need to integrate because if we go from physical therapy to all-out fitness you're coming right back yeah yeah and and I think the nuance too from a training perspective um, can be really valuable especially as someone gets back into it right because you know if someone had a, a knee injury or something and they're getting back into the gym you know how can you sort of I call it like a push and a pull so how can you still like train really hard if they want to, but not set them back? And so uh, the knees, let's let's take a back injury, so to speak, and, and they get back into the gym and you're working with them, but they still want to make sure they get a cardio component. Well, we, if we understand the fitness side enough to say, hey, like if you're going to go like all out and you want to vomit, go on the assault bike, right? Back is stable. You're not going to have back injury doing that. And so, like, we can do – we can go slow with your lower body. We can go slow with your upper body. We can get some core work in. But if you want to get a training effect, like, hey, James, hey, John, hey, Colin, like, you know, maybe give them some intervals on the assault bike if they want to, you know, do that, right? And so that piece of it becomes very, very important. I remember hearing that as a student, actually. It's it's like, you know, it's, it's very easy to sort of make someone tired, but it's also very easy to injure someone, mm. you know. Yep, so true. How big of a role do you think it is that you guys do the one-on-one -on -one for your practice? Yeah, I, I'm glad you came back because I was gonna. Well, I want to touch on that about five minutes ago. You said something reminded me. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing of anybody I think that's seen you guys that has come back. They're like, it was so great just to have like one-on-one -on -one supervision. I felt so secure. Somebody was watching me the whole time, and that is a much different experience than what a lot of people experience in general physical therapy. Yeah, it's funny. So Dell, my wife, before she became an occupational therapist, she was a PT assistant at like a big hospital based physical therapy uh, group. And I remember asking her one time, I was like, you know, I don't understand. I feel like we do one on one and we do a really good job. Uh, but we can't fix everybody, but like we do pretty well. We can't fix everybody. And so how do you guys stay in business? Because I know the model you guys have, there's like people running all over the place. And like, she's like, well, for the most part, you know, we get a lot of people that realistically, all we do with them is get them up and moving for an hour. And that makes them feel better just mm. for moving. And so if we ran that style of practice and had people, we all know them that are just sedentary, haven't done anything. And you get them up and like stretch their hip flexor for like 20 minutes. They're going to feel better because I haven't ever done anything for us. We almost think of ourselves. We have to level up because our client typically have leveled up. 
like they're coming from someone like you who trains three, four days a week and has high level programming. And so it would be very challenging for us to put them in an environment where we spend 15 minutes and then shuffle them along to an assistant. Now, not to say the assistant's bad or anything like that, but we, our clients have super high expectations of themselves and their body. And so we just find, we have found that it allows us to get them better outcomes and better results. You know, more than that, more than even the one-on-one, -on -one, before we take on a client, um, we, we've already, before we, anyone's ever paid us any money, we've spent almost usually two hours with them, right? Think about going to the doctor. You go to a room orthopedist, you walk in, and we were talking about this the other day, they walk in, they pull your chart off the wall, they look at the chart, hi, who is it, John, nice to meet you. Uh, so knee pain, the six, seven minutes if you're lucky. Uh, I remember one time when I was in Cairo school, we used to treat the St. John's uh, tennis team and the trainer came one time and he said, I timed them once and it was 96 seconds that the doctor wow. was in the room with them. Wow. And so we're spending two hours with you before you're ever gonna make a decision to work with us or not. And it doesn't mean that we're going to fix everyone, but the idea is by the time we say, hey, we think we can help you, we have a very good idea that we can. Mm. And so we are going to watch you move. We are going to get to that level of understanding what you really want to do. We are going to try to get to that root cause of the problem. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on who you ask, that does take time. That does take time. You know, not only that, not only is it one person, but it's actually a team of people because we have someone on that does like we have someone on the front end that takes the call we have someone on the front desk we have two doctors three clinicians and our whole like system of practices and we do like grand rounds where we review cases and we review like what what someone told us what their goals are and so we're really trying to understand and 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 get to the patients not only from a physical standpoint but know what their history is know what their goals are uh, and really make sure that we can create that relationship so that we can get them the true out the true outcome that they want, which most of the time gets beyond just the pain that they're having. Yeah, that's big. <clears throat> I mean, that's one of the reasons that I saw you too, because you're able to take a whole hour out of your day for free and come just talk to me, assess me, talk about my goals, look at my body, like all these things that I, you know, was hesitant in. And I know not every doctor's office is like this, but I know I've been there where like, okay, you got an appointment and then it's like, you're late, then you're waiting around the waiting room. Then like you said, like 96 seconds later, it was like, well, what, I don't even know what happened today. And by the way, I had to pay a copay for this. Like, so I, I feel like there was an immediate loss, you know, and not everybody again, but sometimes in some scenarios where I've gone to that type of environment, I just kind of felt like, all right, well, that first whole thing was to me, didn't mean much. Right. Um, whereas you guys were totally different on that. Right. Now it's now it's actually like you do two hours, you said, which is huge. Yeah, we do. You know, we'll do like when someone comes into us similar to your guys assessment. It looks very, very similar. But when, when someone steps in our office, I, it's hard for me to look someone in the eye and say, I can help you or I can't help you before I have got my hands on you and seen you move. It's just a it's it's a it's a guess at that point. And, you know. People joke, and they're not gonna be happy with this joke, but it's called practice for a reason. You're in medical practice, it's practice. Like, we are always fixed trying to like figure it out. We don't know the answers all the time. And so, knowing that that's the case, who's got a better shot of actually figuring it out? 96 seconds or two hours? Yeah, yeah, good point, very good. All right, about you now, Doc. What are some of your training goals? I'm a little bit different. You've had some really good body composition, but I don't feel like you came in as a 
I need to improve my body comp guy. You were kind of like a, maybe a performance guy. Actually, I just, okay, on that on that subject, I just posted a throwback. I think, did you did you see it? Maybe I think I tagged you in it, of you doing some like sprint, in, I mean, uh, what was it, five-yard sprints, 10-year sprints? The I don't five, know what it was. It was like athletic stuff. I was like, oh, there's there's yeah. Doc Rabinowitz. He's doing some, some I think sprints. You were a little heavier then. Well, uh, yeah, I, I have to get back on the train because I'm, I'm, I can feel the weight sort of creeping back up a little bit. But for me, it's... Um, like I was, I was like Pratt when I was younger. I was, I was quite the fat kid. Um, <laughs> I was the one on Weight Watchers going in eighth grade, so same, I could make weight. Same. So I could make weight for Pop Warner. Really? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I had a few Weight Watcher yeah. bouts in my uh, yeah. in my middle school days. <laughs> yeah. So, so I've always been like a bigger guy, so to speak. And so there's only there's only two options for me. It's muscular or fat. And so I ch- I try to choose muscular. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's it's something now it's crazy because I'm 36. I started like actually working out, going to the weight room at Bridgewater High School in, I think going into eighth grade. So like 13 years old. So I've been training and working out longer than I have it. And so the first thing is just what I do. The only time in my life from that time until current that I stopped training was my first semester of chiropractic school. And it was the worst four months of my life. I felt terrible. I almost dropped out of school. I was so stressed. I looked like shit, like, and like never again, you know, never again, right? And so for me, again, it's part of just who I am and, and what I do. It's that, it's just, it's, you know, there are, and, and my wife and I've had these conversations. So when she first moved in with me, I was just getting my business going and she was still in school. So we didn't have, like, we were fine. We didn't have a lot of money. But every time we have conversations from now, even now, it's like if we have to ever cut budget, the last the last thing that we're going to cut is going to be training because for both of us, it's that important. Right now, for other people, it's the first thing that they cut. And that becomes just a mindset shift and switch. Um, and, and life happens like we get it. Uh, you know, obviously, we all understand that. But in the order of importance for us, like at, at one point, I'll tell you exact conversation we had. It was, talk about takeout Italian food, it was, hey, we can go out to eat once a week or we can train here. What do you want to do? And we're like, we're going to train. And so now, like, she's working and we're making more money so we can actually go out to eat, just not take out Italian. Um, <laughs> but but, um, but it's always just been a part of, of what we do and a part of what I do. For me, the thing that I utilize you guys for a lot now is because I, you know, of what I do for a living, I... The conversation I was saying about a hip replacement happens 40 years in advance. You know, for me, I know my right hip, it just does not move as well as my left hip. It doesn't hurt, but I know it doesn't move as well. And, and I looked at this thing a few years ago and I'm like, I'm gonna be that guy if I don't do something about it. And so now when we're talking programming and collaborating on what, like, what I like and don't like, I put sort of my rehab into my training so you know i had back surgery so i make sure that we do core stuff and that we're doing mobility drills for my spine um my right hip i know i've lost internal rotation and if i don't do things with that continuously that's just going to get worse right i know that my ankles aren't good so i make sure we put stuff in there with that um, and then on top of that we add on whatever face sometimes we do athletic stuff sometimes we do med ball work sometimes we do more upper body bodybuilding type stuff or lower body and so that's the nice thing I think really nice thing with you guys is that there's is if you want if you want the collaboration like I have a say in it but at the same time like I for me it's 10% and then you guys do the 90 
for someone like Dell, it's like probably she's like, yeah, whatever you want, go and do. And it's great. And, and we just kind of go and do. But even with Dell, when she had ACL, because she had ACL surgery, six months of rehab PT, the whole thing. But the reality was the vast majority of the, the work she did was here. Because at some point, and that's another problem, and, and that is not the physical therapist's fault, it's the medical system's fault, is you get six months and you're functional, mm. quote unquote, and they, they let you go, so to speak. But she was so far from being ready to do her thing, mm. right? Skiing, tennis, the whole thing. And so we were able to get do her, quote unquote, physical therapy that should have been done there that couldn't be done um, just because of the way the system is. We did that within it. So I use it for body comp because it's what I do. I do it for physical health. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of reasons. And I do it so that I can have good material so that I can talk to James. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the real underlying piece. That, that ACL piece, is, look, we get that all the time from athletes. And as soon as you mentioned integration before, that's the first thing I thought of. The amount of athletes that the parents come to me and say, my kid is cleared. Mm -hmm. And they come in here and they can't do a shuffle in one direction. And it's scary because the alternative was like, we were thinking about coming here or we were just going to start soccer next week. And I'm like, whoa, like we were just good to go next week. We're on the field. We're playing full speed. Yep. Um, it, it is. It's scary. It's uh, it's scary. And it's it's sad because um, under no objective, it's it's literally it's child abuse. <laughs> it's huh. child abuse. Hmm. You know, if uh, every objective measure um, is not where it needs to be to be able to get to that level. And so look at it two ways. Number one, reoccurrence of that in that situation, ACL, through the roof. It's it's through the roof even if you're, um, you know, even if you have it. But go back to the go back to the getting old part, right? So, okay, you have a knee, you have a knee surgery. You're good. The surgeon does a good job, right? Now, all of a sudden, that quad isn't as strong as it needs to be. And so what happens? Well, over the next 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 20, 30 years, we don't, we don't absorb as much force on that knee, so we might put it on our other knee or other hip. Uh, and that happens a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, right? Now everything looks good. We go back to squatting or we go back to walking or we go back to running, and our strength difference is 10, 15, 20%. Not anything to write home about. Can't even really see it, but it's there. And then 50 years later, we wonder why the left knee, the other knee needs to be replaced. Mm. And we can trace it back to the fact that we never actually regained the strain. So our body figured out how to compensate and we couldn't see it or feel it. Right. Yeah. That's how that stuff happens every day, every day of the week. You know, it, it's it's wild. And you can trace that back with car accident, neck injuries, the whole thing. I got this neck thing going on right now um, where if I didn't know what I knew, I wouldn't do anything about it. Right. Because it doesn't actually bother me that much. But I had a, a thing, an acute flare up like a year ago and then it sort of got better. Uh, but now I look and I tilt my head to one side. I have full range and this side I'm like stuck. It doesn't hurt, but it, it's not good. And so yeah, I've lost the ability. Right now, listen to this. Yeah. Everybody. They're in their car. <laughs> yeah. Driving. But I mean, it, head left and right. <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned, things don't just magically get better. And so, like, as you can see, it looks like I have hickeys on my neck because I'm getting treatment on it to try and regain that mobility in the area because when I'm 70, it's be like, I don't know, my neck just hurts. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Of course it's going to hurt. Like, you didn't do anything to fix the injury when you were 36, and you could have fixed it. Yeah. 
at least I know what to say if I come in with a higgy that's actually a higgy <laughs> on my neck. Oh, yeah, just a good treatment. Just you know, the one way I couldn't turn that much, and the other way... Or do you so, think yeah, my yeah. wife got pregnant? <laughs> 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 All right, uh, one through three, best athletes that have been in this building with the last name Rabinowitz. We have Justin, yeah. we have Dell, and we have Jeff. Mm. I want you to be completely honest about these. You know, I think the best athlete actually naturally talented is probably Dell. She's a very, very fluid athlete. And I always wonder with her, she did tennis growing up, gymnastics, and she skied. She never played like any other sport than that. And then you like go and you're like, holy shit, I'm good at that. Golf, she like gets out there and swings it. So she probably is the most naturally athletic one um, if she, so it's funny, you'll appreciate this. I think I've told you this before. So both of you and I, we grow up, we're obsessed with sports. It's our whole life. We train as much as we can. We do the whole thing that we, and then everything, our life is about playing sports. And we end up at a division three school in New Jersey doing what we're doing. <laughs> like, and, and our whole life was sports. <laughs> Dell, she shows up and she's like, yeah, like I played two years of tennis in high school. It was fun. Like I did it for an activity. It was a nice, fun thing. I just like to be active. She goes to college at a division three school in New Jersey. She goes into the lunchroom the first week of school and says, hmm, I wonder if there's an activity I can do so I don't get fat in college. Tried out for the tennis team, made it, became the team captain. And so all three of us ended up playing division three sports. And we got there in the exact fashion that you would expect. Meanwhile, I'm running sprints for 40 minutes before football practice just because if I'm doing a little more than everybody, I'm getting that much yep. better. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I used to I, – I permanently wore out the front lawn of my parents' house because I had a, a batting tee and a, and a box of wiffle balls on the front lawn every day in the summer. And Dell's, oh, let me just not get fat and have an activity. Yeah, yeah. so, so probably just naturally, naturally yeah. athletic for sure. We could hang our hat on just the fact that it builds character. Yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's two? This is the big one. Uh, I would say for the longevity aspect, my dad. Yep. Right. Boom. I just wanted to make sure you put yourself last. That's yeah, I'll be last. I'll, I'll be last. <laughs> I'll be last. That's for sure. If I, I tell you what, if I can, if I can move like my dad does at his age, we're, we're going to be doing pretty good. He's 100%. in his seventies and he can, uh, he can move it pretty good. He's in good shape. So you know, the that's man. A, and and yeah. and actually, at the time of this recording, September whatever, talk about longevity. September second, two thousand twenty-two. His mom, my grandmother, this weekend, her hundred and second birthday. Wow. <clears throat> so wow. impressive. So impressive to me. She still can walk around and do her thing. It's wow. pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you're the fourth most athletic Rabinowitz yeah. in this <laughs> podcast conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Good to know. Uh, last question I have. Daily routine. I feel like you're a very highly productive citizen, and we have sometimes some very early morning conversations. And we get lost in personal development, business development, stuff like that on occasion. Yeah. I'd love to know what your average day looks like. Um, my average day. So what I realized, and one of the things that's been super helpful from, and I, not everyone has this ability, but as I've sort of shifted roles in my work career, so to speak, is I've changed when I've worked out, right? I used to be a 6 a.m. or here because I'd have to go to the office and treat patients all day. And now since I've kind of stepped back into the business side, what I realized from an optimization standpoint is people are like, how do you get up at five and work? It's like, cause that's when my brain works. And so I've told Sydney this before, like my brain is optimal from about, you know, five to 9 a.m. And so I work from five to nine and everyone's like, oh my God, it's like, no, it's just like when I'm fresh. And then nine, my body like is up and ready. And so that's when I'll come to the gym and it's like sort of a good break and then I can go back to work. but. The other day, but by five o'clock, it's over. 
you know, it's over. The other day I got an email I'm presenting at my chiropractic college in a couple of weeks and they emailed me uh, like, hey, just a friendly reminder, all your presentation and slides are due today and I hadn't started it yet and it was 5 p.m., which wasn't actually a problem other than the fact that it was 5 p.m. <laughs> so those next two and a half hours were horrendous because my body just doesn't really function very well. Now, for all of us, like I said, training is what it, it a part of my life. And so if something happens, we're having a baby soon and that changes. If I have to be here at 7 p.m., I'll have to be here at 7 p.m. Because, again, it's like one of those things that I think if it's important, you're going to find a way. Right. I, I think it becomes that mindset shift. Right. In in, in your in your career and training and all of that. Um, but somebody told me this once. It's probably interesting. You guys can go and look. I bet if you surveyed members here of your gym and you looked at the members that potentially have been here the longest and you on average compared their income to the ones that come and go, I bet it would be significantly higher, more discipline show up when they show up when they, they commit to something, they're going to do it and it translates. And so the guy that I was talking to once, he, he said he belonged to a CrossFit gym and he always said the 5 a.m. and the 6 a.m. crew would always talk about that and say, I wonder if we took the average income of our 5 and 6 a.m. crew compared to the other crew and what that would look like. All just because it's something that you're making a sacrifice, you're being disciplined, it's, it's painful to do that all the time, but we just sort of do it. And so, you know, I'm on the treadmill today, seven minute run, I hate I, I I played baseball. If you run ninety feet, it's a good day. <laughs> seven minutes of running, God this bless. This was not an interval. This was straight through. straight seven okay, minutes. And stuff. I get about we'll two minutes. We'll talk to our program. That's terrible. <laughs> I get about two minutes in, and the only thing I kept telling myself is, "All right, just you have to do something hard today." And this was going to be something, but <laughs> but it's part of it, right? Like you you challenge yourself in a way mentally uh, through physical activity that you know can sort of challenge yourself mentally. Justin gets off. He's like. What year are we in? <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Where is it? Am I 102 yet? <laughs> so bad. That's great. Yeah, I, I think about what you just said before about the restaurant of, you know, we had to make a decision of going out to eat one night per week or working out here. And I just couldn't help but think, I, I try not to go here, but I'm like, I can't help but think about the amount of people that said they can't afford this that go out to eat three nights a week. I mean, again, I think there's, we, we do a lot like business training and business consulting with people and and I never want to your point like there are some people that life happens and and they can't afford and and in those situations I've seen your emails of like if that's a truly a problem like come talk to James because if you want to be here we'll figure out a way for you to be here mm. but the reality is for most of us in this again you you want to be sensitive to the subject it a lot of times is a decision that we make ourselves most of the time consciously right not sorry unconsciously mm -hmm. that we just decide to put our allocation of funds in other places and you know we always say um, and I teach this to my team and my clients you know uh, if you if I want to know what's important to you show me your bank account and show me your calendar mm. you know wherever your calendar is wherever whatever you spend your money on that's what we know is important to you and so if if this is important to you then if tr if your if your physical health is important to you and as i said before human nature physical health is important to people usually only once it's been taken away but if it is important to you before it's been taken away then for the most part you'll find a way yeah. not always not always but you'll find a way you know we look at people again you want to go down the rabbit hole with it family vacations are amazing right that's a great thing 
However, if the choice might be between the family vacation and being consistent in your training, that's a choice, right? That's a choice. If the difference is my wife and I go back and forth, she likes cars. I can't stand cars. But like if the difference is getting a used car and spending $300 a month on a payment versus $700 a month, well, there's your training budget, right? And again, that's a choice. No one says you need that car. But again, people, I, we had a one, one of this consulting client told me, he's like, I can't, I can't do consulting with you. I'm saving all my money for a wedding. I'm like, first of all, that's a joke. Why would you do that? That's crazy. And then the next week I saw that he bought a Harley Davidson right. and it's like, yeah, all the, you know what I mean? And so, you know, I, we see that all the time, but what we find mostly, right? Look at people that go to chiropractic school. Somehow they figure out how to pay for it, right? Because they really want the degree. They go get a loan. They do all this stuff. And, and again, we're not taking a loan out to train a Pratt. But it's just the idea that if we really, if we really want something that's important to us, um, we're gonna make, we're gonna figure out how to do it. Yep. We're gonna figure out. Hundred percent. We've been waiting for that chair. That's a, that's a, it's, like a, it's a trap chair. We've been waiting for it the whole time. We're an hour in and it hasn't gone yet. It just finally went off. Hey, but I'll Dr. Tell you what, Jay's though. core is so strong. No. He was supposed to fall, no, but he held no, himself nope, upright. Nope, nope. 2018, if I was 20 pounds heavier, uh, this thing right. would have broke. Way earlier. Way earlier. That's what, yeah, we didn't account for the weight factor. We got to mm. tweak that next time we yep. have a guest on yep. there. Exactly. There's a little dial, I think. Uh, Dr. J, number one, appreciate you coming on. Two, I think just from my personal perspective, you've been huge in the development of Pratt Personal Training. Uh, you've given some awesome insight. All of our conversations are tremendously meaningful. And I think from a personal development, business development standpoint, you've been like a big mentor for me. And like anybody who's, anybody who's listening to this, I feel like we're getting Dr. Rabinowitz on the cheap right now. Because I feel like 10 years from now, he's going to be a mentor for like thousands of people. And yeah. we're going to be like, hey, remember we had him on our podcast? <laughs> and we're going to try to leverage this to try to get better guests on the show. <laughs> you, um, I think you've always said, though, your goal here was to kind of change the way the industry is is done. And, you know, we've had, I've had my own, I've been in like six or seven different gyms in my own business. Like I put a chiropractic practice in the gym. So I know, I feel like I know the fitness business almost as well, if not better, because I've probably seen more. If you think about it, I've seen more fitness businesses than I've seen healthcare because yeah. I've been in more of them. And, um, you know, for a long time, your business was built on you and the fact that you were a workhorse and how much you grinded and the fact that you knew what you were doing. And then, it, and now the, the best thing that I've seen is typically once the business grows, you lose, we, I've seen it a thousand times, you grow the business and you, you lose the quality. Yeah. And you guys have, because of the people you have and because of you and because of the environment, I think potentially, potentially the quality is actually improved. Agreed. It's improved. Yep. And I think that that is so hard to do. And again, you, we know, we both know of places where the opposite happens yep. almost as a general rule as a general rule. And so like, I, I feel, I feel lucky to be able to, to be here, um, to be able to train here and to be, to be so close to it. And, um, as you guys know, I can be very picky with the workouts I want to do. Um, and I always think about, it's, it's actually crazy to think this is, I'll go to like California and I'll be like, all right, I can move here, but where would I train? <laughs> That's the first thing I think yeah. about. And so, yeah, no, I appreciate it as a client, as a, as a mentor, as a friend. I think you guys have an amazing group of people. You've built such a really, a really great community of, of people that 
also happens to do an unbelievable job of, of training people. So I, I, I couldn't recommend anyone out there to, if you're not here to come here, if you've left to come back, um, just get your ass back here. Um, and uh, yeah, for everyone, everyone in the place, just, just keep your head down and keep going. I think we'll pay you for that last comment. All right. How that much? Was really good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Thank you. That's, I think that's got, some guys. good closing thoughts, guys. We'll put in um, in the show notes a link to Strive to Move website and really any other link that might be helpful that Justin could give me. I'll put that all in the show notes so you guys can go find more about him and what he does and what his team does. Yeah, we're right next. We're next to Benny's Deli. So whenever you guys go get your your food after, you can pop in and say hi. And he has like he. Well, last time I was there, he had like free stuff. So. You got free. We have uh, free waters, some seltzer, non-alcoholic. Uh, We've got some protein bars. So go to Benny's, get the sandwich, but then get your beverages next door. That's we, ac- right. we actually had to put a limit on that because my staff eats more of the food than the clients, and they're going to put us out of business because yeah, of inflation. The with the mints here with me. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I buy the mints so I can justify it. All right, that's it. Peace out, everybody. Peace. All right, everybody, as you can see, Justin is a wealth of information, just an extremely smart individual. And we are all guaranteed, we are all much better for uh, having that conversation with Justin and for you guys to be listening in on that conversation with Dr. Justin Rabinowitz from Strive to Move. So as far as takeaways, there's a lot here. Two really stood out to me. The one which you heard me comment on is the four-week rule. And now I say rule in air quotes here. You can't see that, but Justin kind of just came up with that on the spot because he knows it's not reasonable to tell somebody at the first sign of pain, stop everything you're doing, go seek help from a professional. It's probably a good thing to do. It's just not reasonable. So as you probably all know, in this line of work, we get people all the time that have pain and issues and they may or may not be serious. We don't know. So it's not reasonable for us either to tell them to stop training with the first time they tell us they have pain. Usually we have a very logical system of just like eliminating things that cause pain in exercise and then potentially adding in different exercises for that person to do that are similar, but keep them out of pain. Now, while this is happening, we get in the back of our minds, have a little timeline knowing that if this goes on for more than four weeks, we probably need to do something about it. We should recommend that that person go see somebody like Strive to Move and the people that work there. So that's my takeaway number one. My second takeaway is something that really stood out to me, and this is something I kind of know, but I need to be reminded, and Justin said it really well. Basically, a hip replacement doesn't happen overnight. Like, like you don't just one day wake up at the age of 55, 60, 75, 80, and all of a sudden you need a hip replacement. No, it happens over a very long period of time of abnormal wear and tear. I mean, I know that, but I don't always... Uh, remember that I guess and I don't always really think of it in terms like that it's very hard to think of it in terms as what are the consequences 50 years from now 30 years from now whatever it might be and it could be a knee a, knee, a hip uh, shoulder elbow just like stuff that's gonna minimize your quality of life and for me I need to remember that I'm trying to have as active of a life as I can as long as I possibly can and as high of a quality life as I can as long as I possibly can so thinking in those terms and realizing that now my hip that's been nagging me, I'm just using this figuratively, like let's just say my hip's been nagging me for a little bit and it's a very tolerable level of pain. I gotta remember that now is the time to take action on this and I can't delay that 20 years, 30 years from now to the point where it has robbed me of quality of life. All right guys, so that's all I got for you. I could go on obviously forever on the takeaways of this episode. 
the main thing, the last takeaway is find Strive to Move and the information as to how to contact Strive to Move right on their website linked in the show notes. And for some of you out there listening, I guarantee this might be your wake-up call and you've been dealing with something for a long time. It might be time to go do something about it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. As usual, catch you next week on the Fat Pratt Chat.